Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother galloping wit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. It's the Derek Duvall Show. A show about the best of humanity with guests from all professions and walks of life. Pop culture, interesting news, and hot takes. Now, here's the number one host in your hearts, Derek Duvall. Greetings and welcome home again to the Derek Duvall Show. This is episode nine, and we got through the inauguration without civil war breaking out. I mean, struth, people. <laughs> Let's take our victories where we can get them, right? Lord knows what I was thinking releasing the last episode on January the 6th. That will teach me not to consult a psychic before releasing these episodes. I mean, what chance did I really have? I mean, Hey, everyone, come listen to this episode about a rock and roll icon. Oh, wait, what? A coup against the United States government is taking place? <laughs> I mean, I've seen turkeys in the crosshairs of a rifle that had a better chance than the Derek Duvall show had that day. But the past is the past, and we power on through, right? So welcome to episode nine. This one is a good one, as we welcome Anthony and Claire Bueno, the creators of the Ghostbusters documentary, Cleaning Up the Town. Now, I've been a Ghostbusters fan since I was old enough to identify Colors of the Rainbow, so this is a huge pleasure for me, and it was a pleasure to listen to the stories of what it took to get this mammoth project to completion. We are going to release this episode in two parts, with the conclusion to be released on Thursday the 28th of January, so stay tuned for that. Before we get started, I need to mark the passing of a sort of mini-hero of mine. I love watching Larry King live, and I feel it truly is special that we are doing this episode today as my, my first moment of awareness as to who Larry King was is during the montage for the original Ghostbusters. Hi, this is Larry King. The fallen topic today, ghosts and ghostbusting. The controversy builds, more sightings are reported. Some maintain that these professional paranormal eliminators in New York are the cause of it all. Since then, I've watched him interview celebrities, politicians, and even some monsters. I love, I gotta say, I do, I love his interaction with Snoop Dogg. Snoop, are you still basically a gangster at That's a figure of speech. I didn't know I like using that word. Was it G-A-N-G-S-T-E-R or G-A-N-G-S-T-A? Say it, Larry. Say it like gangsta. you mean it. Say it like you mean it, man. <laughs> there you have it. The passing of a broadcasting titan. Fair winds, Larry King. You will be missed. All right, guys. Grab your stick, heat them up, and make them hard as we get right into episode nine. We are joined today by an awesome team of filmmakers that, for my own personal reasons, had to have them on the show. Please welcome to the show Claire and Anthony Bueno, the creators of the documentary Cleaning Up the Town, The Making of Ghostbusters. How are we doing today, guys? We're doing very well. Thank very, you, Derek. Well Thank you for having us on the show. Very yeah. excited to, to talk about our documentary because we love it. Exactly. <laughs> I start off my interviews with the same question. How is the COVID world treating you both? To be honest, not bad. 
it's had, it certainly had its ups and downs, as I think it has done with a lot of people. But as I think most people have probably found that taking your foot off the gas, I should say, out in the States is has definitely been something we needed to do because we were pretty much working flat out on the dock for years. And it did force us to finally take that break that we have been kind of promising ourselves that was always on the horizon, but we just never seemed to be able to kind of actually do it. So it was really a chance to take stock and see what else is kind of out there. And it has been really nice, you know, going out in the garden, doing a bit of it, going for nice walks and not having to worry about, well, I'm using up time when I should be back here, doing a bit of editing, doing a bit of that. So for the most part, it's actually been quite positive and and I've actually quite enjoyed it yeah. for the most for the most part, not not entirely. And I know it's affected other people very, very differently, unfortunately. But yeah, for us, I can't. Yeah, no, I, I certainly have all the sympathy in the world for, you know, families that have lost loved ones through COVID-19. I just it must be absolutely horrendous to to lose a, a family member. I mean, we have lost um extended family through it ourselves so it, you know we, we, that's that's been obviously the negative for everybody around the world but personal note yeah it's been a it's been an opportunity for me to sort of take a step back reflect and reevaluate in the important things in life and just give, to give us give us myself a new perspective i think yeah yeah I've been thinking about it in the last couple of days is this show that we're recording now, like the actual show started during the pandemic. And I feel like the longevity of the show after the, the pandemic is over, it's going to serve as kind of a time capsule in a way, you know, for, for people who go back and say, Oh yeah, the, the Derek Duvall show, I'm going to start at the beginning. And you're like, wow, this was done during COVID. And you ask all these people, these questions. And as we get closer and closer to the vaccine, you know, obviously that question will eventually, hopefully if everything goes well, go away. So yeah. Yeah exactly. yeah, exactly. And I suppose, has it been interesting for you interviewing different people? Yes. It's, I, I mean, I've actually had people who have had COVID. Oh, um, my goodness. And, you know, now we, I mean, this is, I think there's in some areas and some people are a bit kind of complacent by it because some people have had it and it hasn't really affected them too much. But there is others, and I know, but, and, you know, even people within the Ghostbusters community, um, I know that have had it. And one had a friend, and we're not talking about a, like a, somebody that, like a Doc Brown friend that's actually in his 80s. This is like a, a friend and died from it. Oof. And and you are talking to different people that it's been affected, who's been affected in one way or the other. And, you know, in the extreme and, and unfortunate cases where they passed away. But they were like, yeah, well, I knew they passed away, a relative, yeah, or we had a, a relative die. And then others have sort of like had it. And I think our cousin had it in Spain. Yes, he's, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, yeah, family, his whole family have had it, yeah. And it's just, you can't, you know, and some people, you know, compare it to flu. Uh, and it's like you can do that if you like but it's on the other hand i don't want another flu yeah. <laughs> i don't need another version of the flu the flu is actually bad enough so the fact that they're, they're really getting ahead with it and and hopefully with the vaccine it will create a, a, a safer environment for everybody we all go back to whatever the new normal is going to be i just think we've all got to be sensible be tolerant of each other and be respectful um and keep wearing our masks basically so the worst thing you've got to do is wear a mask yeah it's, it's perfectly right and in some cases i'd recommend that with some people <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure they say the same about me <laughs> all right so ghostbusters one of yeah. the most beloved films of the last 50 years easily in my personal top five greatest films of all time at what point in your lives do the two of you look at each other and say you know what? Let's make a documentary about making it. It was in 2007. 
and uh, I'd been brought on board to work on a documentary on American wealth in London called Where the Moon, Remembering American Wealth in London. So, and it was all, you know, I'd not long finished film school and it was just kind of one of those things. I ended up, I'd never been to conventions before. And the second time I went to one, I was just helping a friend out and meeting a fellow called Paul and, and he was talking about doing this documentary about werewolf. And at that point, we had the DVDs out and there were special features on there. And I thought all that kind of stuff was covered. And I thought, well, I don't know why we're doing one on werewolf. And, and Ghostbusters never even entered my, my mind at that point. That was one thing. When I went to film school and we sort of like spoke about stuff, it's mm. like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome to do like making ofs on blue on DVD? Blu-rays didn't exist then. On DVDs, VHSs didn't have them. And you, um, you were really taken with documentary filmmaking, which I think probably surprised you when you were at film school. Yeah, it was. You know, yeah. it was actually it was the first professional thing that we did was a pilot for a, a past life regression show never went anywhere nothing ever happened with it but that experience of like because at that point it was like student films and things and as, as organized as you try to be you, you're you're new to it so it's obviously it's quite a, a process whereas this was like in out you shot what you needed to do it's like god i really enjoy this because I, 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 I can't stand shooting more than i actually need it just it, it, it just bothers me then and it's a, certainly in a digital world now that just happens all the time but so we would, it was just like that, sitting down, listening to people's stories. And, and you know, we always sort of like say, or Claire does like, you know, we grew up listening to stories, our nan talking about the war and, and sitting on the end of the bed and the kind of things that the family used to get up to in Birmingham and stuff. And, and, so, and the spiritualist movement. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, that's how we were introduced to that um, through, you know, our, our, our not, not nan so much, but her, her mother and her older sisters were involved in the spiritualist movement. So all of that sort of ghost stuff was kind of um you know sort of in the in the background i suppose and i think for you and it that ghostbusters is your, your favorite film of all time and so when having made that documentary um about uh, an american werewolf in london and there was obviously a connection between john landis and and dan Aykroyd, the blues brothers obviously trading places and stuff and and you you chose an opportune moment didn't you to speak to yeah to Landis to see whether he would be um whether he thought Dan Aykroyd would be interested didn't yeah he? and that and that was basically that was it's it, like really. if we can get Dan Aykroyd then we know we've got a documentary if we can't get him then it's kind of a bit pointless so and that was it and then he said yeah and it was it, you know it wasn't really something Paul was interested in doing it's not really a genre and and he had other kind of plans for himself so it was just a case yeah. of when I got back so shall we do it so once we sort of like got ahead with with werewolf come 2008 is when we started sending out the invites and stuff and it did take four years and help from landis to to finally get Ackroyd to sit down and, and do that interview but and that's you know one of the reasons why it kind of took so long was just really kind of gathering those kind of interviews but that was it it was just like it's my favorite film mm-hmm. i absolutely love ghostbusters it's always you know as much as there are other you know many other kind of classic films of that era something's always resonated with ghostbusters and and even now even though we've watched it thousands of times it'll if it, it was actually on sky recently yeah, it's like, oh, ghostbusters, let's just watch it because it's awesome it just makes you feel good i don't, yeah. I don't want to quote it <laughs> quote uh, yeah busted makes you feel good but it it, it it does make you feel good doesn't yeah, it yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a, just a, a great film and that was it and it was just like once you sort of like said well there's nothing out there on it and the one of the big reasons to do it was to try and do some more on Ghostbusters 2 because there was just absolutely nothing there yeah. so it was okay this doc's going to cover both films and then and then it was purely through the edit it was just like we just made the decision to split it in two so we could have 
like one film dedicated to one film and one film dedicated to the other because I, I didn't want to sort of like Dilute spend an hour really. on Ghostbusters and then 30 minute, minutes on Ghostbusters 2. I wanted to respectfully give them both the same amount of time, but I also didn't want to create like a four hour kind of film effectively, even though people have done that. And most of those are actually are perfectly all right. It wasn't kind of the route I wanted to go to. I wanted it to appeal to the broadest audience as possible. So that's kind of like where that all kind of stemmed from. I think it's uh, interesting. The podcast that I used to be a part of a long time ago, uh, they used to do deep dives into films. And we're talking like, you know, really in depth, the nitty gritty, bare bones, all that stuff. And right before, about two months ago, they decided to do Ghostbusters 2. And, I was, and they, they have a, like a, you know, a poll, like, who, like, a, like a voting thing. And there was between, I think it was between Stripes, Dave, or Ghostbusters 2. And for some reason, beyond comprehension, they chose Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> And then everybody, every every Tom, Dick, and Harry on the on the podcast is like, "Hey, do you have Ghostbusters too?" And I'm like, "Of course. Can I borrow it?" I'm like, "Sure." And that, they wouldn't tell me why, and I was like, "Okay, well, there you go." So, yeah, it's it's a <laughs> it's an interesting sequel. I, I'll give you that. It, it is. I mean, I I really enjoy it. I remember queuing up. I mean, I saw both films at the cinema originally. It was the last film I saw in the theaters before I moved to America. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, it was. So I got to ask this question. And it kind of goes back to it. I saw the film when I was very young and in the theaters with, with my dad. And then, of course, when it was released on VHS, I think I went through the, the video cassette at least three times. Do you guys have any you guys have anything similar happen to you? Oh, yes. gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yes. Yeah, I mean, well, Claire, you're... Well, no, no, it was the first film that I was um, allowed to go and see without parental supervision. So it was the first film I could go to the cinema with my friends and, um, and watch. So for me, it's almost that kind of rite of passage film. I'm not obviously an adult, but I'm old enough to be, you know, left unsupervised with my friends. And I remember being terrified by the li library ghost and jumping mm -hmm. out of, you know, my skin. Yeah. At that. And it was, and I'm laughing at me, you know, laughing because I was scared. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the sort of the rest is history with just how funny the film is. And anyway, but it was, yeah. So for me, that's that, that's the what sort of is stuck in my mind, really, in my consciousness of. Yeah. Um, I I think that's for me. I think that's the for me is basically, as I I mean, obviously, I saw it at a very young age. And as I got older and older and older, as I keep watching it and watching and watching, as you mature and you you know go puberty and you get into your teenage years and your adult years, there are jokes in that movie that you finally find funny because you get the humor of the actual of the joke. I remember my dad. There was a certain scene in the movie. My dad was like, "Ah, oh, nothing," you know, just like you know, ignore this. My dad. My dad was a man of the world, but you know, it's not going to explain to a four-year-old, you know, an oral sex joke, you know. So. <laughs> That, I've always found that kind of funny as I got older. I was like, oh, that's what's going on. You know, and that's some of the best films are like that. You know, Pixar. You yeah. know, do great. I said that really weird. Then Pixar. Pixar. <laughs> Pixar. And it was just, you know, and the Carry On films, you know, are, are, you know, huge sort of like fans of the Carry Ons and, you know, the great Barbara Winter passed away, you know, yesterday, sadly. But, you know, they're films that you watch as a kid and you find a whole bunch of stuff funny and then you get older and then there's a whole other layer. And I'm yeah. still finding in the carry-on films that I find funny, jokes that I now get that I didn't get before. And um, all of those classics like that, and, and certainly like the Pixar films are, are, are tapped into that, where it's like we can make this for adults and we can make it for kids and you can just blend the two together. It doesn't all have to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. And that's the genius. And, and Ghostbusters is that. And that's it. And that that joke, I, ne I never got 
for years. It was just like, a, you know, Dan Aykroyd's pulling a funny face. It's just like, <laughs> that was it. They didn't think anything of it. I think it's interesting as well that you talk about, you know, you, you how you played and played the um, the VHS, Derek, because that's the whole, our whole branding, really, mm. of, the, of, of the film, you know, the posters. There's all this kind of distressed look. And and this whole ethos that Anthony Zart, our artistic director, had was, you know, it's that feeling of, you know, when you used to get your VHS out and you just played it and played it and played it and it all becomes kind of, you know, worn and broken up and dishevelled, but it's dishevelled because you love it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting that you should mention the old VHS because that's... That was kind of the the ethos behind our, our branding, yeah, because really. Because it is, it is. It's just that, film, you know, the affection of loving something so much. Yeah, that you just wear it down. Like you, cause I remember a conversation. I think it was Simon Pegg, and it was not. I had a conversation with Simon Pegg. It was just I, I, we. I think it was a film festival that we were covering at the time, and I think he was there talking about it. But it's about how home video is the place where people, some you know, our generation definitely that's how they watch films especially horror and that's why you know horror works really well like that it's not necessarily a cinematic thing it's very much like a home video your mates around and that's the things with things like ghostbusters that it is that kind of like it was around that time when those kind of visual effects were being developed vhs was becoming a thing i think i'm i've got it on it was one of the we had a friend who could make pirate copies And it was, and it, and it was just like, oh, I'd love to get Ghostbusters. And my dad might have got it me for Christmas of '85, and it's on the same tape with Only Fools and Horses to oh, Holland, which was on t- on telly just like about about five days ago. It's like, oh, let's watch this. I've been watching this for ages, and it's hilarious. Holland. So, so just a quick side note for anybody: Only Fools and Horses is pretty much it's my gospel. Every Del Boy is it, David Jason's portrayal of Del Boy is pretty much how I mold my personal uh, persona um, <laughs> in my private life and my person and my public life. Um, Cushy, yeah. <laughs> lovely jubbly. I mean, people over here are like, what the fuck is a lovely jubbly and Cushy, all that. so his thing. I show my wife only fools and horses and she got it. I showed my mother-in-law only fools and horses. My dad, before he passed, used to come over and watch only fools and horses. So I had all the old uncut versions now oh, yeah. I, they've gone over now and PC'd them up a little bit, but yeah, I have all the uncut versions and it's just, it's just so great. And oh. I have been trying, I have been trying since I started the show to get John Chalice, David Jason, Nicholas and Hurst, uh, Sue Holdness to come on the show. It's on my bucket list. They're, they're very high on the list and they're not getting any younger. So the, the, the clock is ticking on that one. I have to ask a question. Go cool. The backwards ghost. In UK and America, have you guys ever noticed that? The the no ghost kind of flipping. Yeah. Interesting thing about that is originally the word Ghostbusters was supposed to go up the band of the of the no ghost, but because they knew that by the when it got to England, I know that it's the way around for us. Why they felt it important to flip it the other way around, I don't know. But anyway, when it, they flipped it for the UK. On, and the producers knew that that was going to happen. They said, "Well, we can't do that because then Ghostbusters is going to appear backwards." So, so that so they've been often. So that's why Ghostbusters is now separate. I don't think that was the whole reason, but I know that's one of the plans that was going to be like Ghostbusters going on there. But yeah, so over here it's the other way around, which makes it a little bit more unique for us, I suppose. You guys, now this is obviously this was a huge fundraising event. What was your final budget for the film? Um, um, what we had at the time. Uh, well, <laughs> it was it's been a bit like it's been like that hasn't it really because we 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 to retain creative control we paid for the film ourselves 
that's how we started the film and that's how it was for the first eight years and kind of the latter part of the, yeah. the film as well. Yeah. And then, you know, afterwards we, we did a Kickstarter, which we we succeeded in and and then we were able to to, to get the film over the finishing line. It, we were able to borrow money, basically. So yeah. so we've we've, so we've had to be very resourceful over the last sort of 12 years, haven't we? Yeah. So but literally it's whatever money we had at the time to spend on it. That's how it's worked out. Yeah. I mean, on a whole... On a whole, it's well over, it's well, 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 well over a hundred thousand. Yeah, it's pounds. over a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, I think easily, is what yeah. it all. And that's that's just physical money. That's not anybody taking a salary for. Yeah, and the work that know, people have done. Like, yeah. I mean, Derek Derek Osborne is, you know, primarily he hasn't had a penny from us. In fact, he's probably put more money into the. Yes, he has. Because yeah. he's a collector himself, so he, he a lot of stuff. I mean, he did amazing work on the motion graphics, but. A lot of the stuff, like the the call sheets and things like that, he's got a lot of those things. Um, and he will yeah, go he and came buy them. Yeah, on board as the, the archive producer, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, 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 that was it. And then he became the motion graphics fellow because he was a wizard. It. Um, yeah. But it's just like we. So there's so there's still elements of the budget that we don't even know ourselves. Yeah. But we've had to. I mean, when we got to the end of the dock and and it was like all being like tidied up and ready to kind of like be distributed and stuff, we had to do all those kind of sums and stuff and figure out. What, I mean, for the most part, we really put it off. We did not want to know what we'd spent on it because it was getting we've been as resourceful as we could but we know we've had to spend like here there and everywhere and there's times when some of that money was well spent and sometimes it really was not well spent and and like the the trip to the when we did the kickstarter that was originally that was going to finish it all off and it was going to pay for part of the trip to over to the us and the rest of it was going to be for post-production and that money just evaporated because when we were there we had brexit and that that did absorb, I think, around about ten thousand yeah, pounds. Yeah, the pound, the pound, the pound just dropped. Yeah, yeah. That, we had to stay out in LA longer because there was things we specifically needed to film. Because the things we originally wanted to go and do we, fell through. We originally wanted to go and shoot inside the LA firehouse and do all this, use projectors and and you know beam memories up onto the wall. It was like that's you know kind of where the containment unit thing comes from. It's the explosion of the of the all the memories contained. Um, and we that was locked down. That was it. The, like the city deemed it unsafe. Yeah, and that was like we we'd landed. We'd been there for like yeah a week. I think yeah. we'd done a comic con there to promote the film, and then we were traveling doing interviews, and we found that little gem out. And it's like, well, what are we going to do? We're in now, and it's like this is, you know, and you're just thinking, well, I'm trying to think of something to do that's going to justify justify it. the money we've spent to come here to do it that we couldn't just do at home. So. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, you know, um, a lot of the people that we got to know through the course of making the dot, Richard Edland and John Bruno. John and, Bruno, and, and Mark Brian Wilson, Wilson and, uh, yeah. People like that all sort of like lent us their props. So Stuart we shot Ziff. the props and, yeah, Stuart Ziff. And so we could do something that we couldn't have done here. And it did sort of like work out really well in the end. But that was quite stressful. Yeah, it was. Um, and, and that was, and we had to stay longer to do that. And it was all more money. And yeah, with the whole Brexit thing, it just, it just, yeah, it just was crippling financially. That There's been some fan documentaries that are out there. Like there were, I know there's one working on Back to the Future right now. Uh, the one I, that everybody seems to say was, you know, kind of like the one that, paved the way to the major studios obviously was uh the shark is not is now working with the jaws yeah yeah which got included on the uh, universal uh originally the blu-ray disc and then now moved on to the 4k uhd disc will you guys do you guys have a contact sony pictures and say hey look we've got this documentary would you want put it on you know the ghostbusters 4k release um we did have talks with sony 
and they were interested in in uh, acquiring the documentary but we just the terms and conditions we just couldn't make it work basically mm. and i think for us to be honest and and uh, anthony is probably more modest than me in this respect because i haven't got my hands dirty making it physically making it like anthony and and derek and anthony's art has and so and I always felt that the documentary was worth more than being stuck on a bonus feature of a, of a 4K or whatever version of, of a disc that they wanted to release. And I, I think the film stands in its own right to be released in its own right, which, you know, has proved to be the, the case. Uh, I mean, I know it's not been released in the um, US yet on Blu-ray, but the um, the, the UK Blu-ray sales have have been phenomenal. I mean, they sold out in the first the first day. Um, it sold out on Amazon, sold out on Zavi. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, we've had phenomenal support. But yeah, we we did have we did have talks with Sony, and and they were interested, but we just we we just couldn't make it happen. Basically, no, which, which is sad because yeah. you know, even when we were starting this thing, it's like wouldn't it be amazing. If, you know, Sony, you know, and Columbia would be, you know, we're sat there with Ivan having a chat about it, wouldn't that be? And then, you know, and then you thought, and we're sat right where we are now, and we're yeah. having this big meeting with with Sony, basically, and because it's Sony Home Entertainment and all that, and it was, and and the right to Ghostbusters kind of split because it's not just Sony that own it, it's Ivan and, and the team, and it's Ghost Corps. So you've got the kind of two that kind of work hand in hand, even though they're essentially separate entities. And we were in the room now, which is in my old bedroom. With Ghostbusters, we should be yeah. covered in Ghostbusters posters. So it was very surreal that you know, and we're having these, you know, it's got their lawyers, their top lawyers, very nice and a really nice bunch. Yeah. And but it re really was like this isn't, you know, you're looking at it and thinking it's no, it isn't like. And one one reviewer over here commented that it should have been just a 20 minute special feature. It's just like, but that's not what it is, you know. Where we're trying to, it's not just about Ghostbusters either. It's about filmmaking in the 80s and and just trying to show the kind of things that people did, like way back in the day before you had computers that could do so much these days. Yeah. This is how people did these films and, and made these deals and it was all much more kind of gung-ho than you kind of realized then and, and it, you just realized it was it was more than that and it just it, and it was a shame and it was and it was not in any way an easy decision to make because no, you're there working towards this thing and it's just like it can't if we do this we're to be honest we'll be ruined you know we knew at that point we we probably owed more than even with the kickstarter money that had come in and and they were and they were great and they were, they were very supportive and yes, they really they did were, want yeah. to try and make it work and but it's, you've just got different levels and different layers of people that are willing to do and what they're willing to do and and one group wasn't willing to do as much as the others wanted them to do so you know sadly it just it, it just, just didn't yeah work. it just didn't happen and you know for better or worse I mean in, in, in and I don't think there's a bit, ever been a point though since then that we've looked and gone we should have done that I really yeah, and no. we haven't and we have been to, to some particularly difficult times the past 18 months yeah. to get the film finished and you know which is all a part of life's rich tapestry um but you know all that considered it i don't think it would have been any easier if we'd have done it like that no and and you know and it kind of you know doors were left open and you know it could even be something that happens in the future and even for the like the next stock it could be something but you know i don't yeah I, at this point we just we would we're really pleased with what we were able to do independently from that and yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been following the making of this film for many, many years. And uh, the second it was released, uh, I bought it. I had it imported to the U.S. Oh, and over, over here, it's become kind of like a, 
in some circles, like I joined a few Ghostbusters forums, so that it's become kind of like a, I don't know what's the word. It's not like a bootleg, but it's become like an underground, like, oh, if you got this, yeah, you've got to get this, you know? I, it's being passed around and what have you. And I'm telling people like, go go on Amazon UK, go go to Zavi. You like this? And they're like, okay, man. And they type it in. Like, I found it. All right, bring it in. And they're like, and they're like what the fuck is VAT? I'm like, don't just don't worry about it. Just buy it anyway. You know? so, so anyway. Oh, that's but, really good to know that it's had some sort of like cult following. It is making the rounds here in America, and I, I can assure you that it's it started gaining traction. So the second, oh, I, I know you said it's on Crackle, I believe, right? Yeah, it's yeah. on on Crackle. There's a hundred minute version. We had to when we when um uh, our first um when we first signed up with a sales agent, you know, commercially, the film would sell better at ninety hundred minutes, and we weren't prepared to compromise on on that yeah so um so consequently the the compromise was there would be like a 90 hundred minute version for tv because we understand you know with commercials and stuff like that um you know they the, the timing is of the essence but you know the the thing is the film was a two hour or just over two hour film mm -hmm. that's the story we wanted to tell and you don't work 12 years and spend every single penny that you've got to 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 compromise and so we have this two-hour version of the film anyway screen media acquired the rights um in the united states they have it on on crackle and we are just waiting on them to to confirm a, a release date for for blu-ray so it definitely will be happening and they've been fantastic screen media yeah they have, um, yeah i mean it, it was i think originally it was going to be around kind of now or like halloweeny now-ish and but with you know, Ghostbusters Afterlife being pushed, I, more than likely that's what they're doing. Is trying to tie it all into that, which yeah. is which I get. I, I yeah, I, t I totally get that. There's a strategy, um, and um, and so I would imagine. I don't know. We have literally haven't heard anything, but I would imagine they are tying it in with um, the release of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah. So I got to ask. This is movie. Like I said this documentary has been many, almost a decade in the making. You have by it a complete miracle assembled some of the most brilliant minds in filmmaking and special effects as long as a, as well as a good portion of the cast how long did it take you to track all these people down well oh, that was well, well i think we've got to sort of thank imdb yeah <laughs> Who <laughs> he's a really, really nice guy, Cole Needham, who who set up IMDB and who consequently sold it to Amazon for oodles of money. So anyway. He um, always looks very happy in all the film functions and yes. not surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's it, it was it's essentially it was a combination of I'd say two things. One is IMDB was was yeah. pro was amazing, and that's the initial agents and, and and all that jazz and agents and publicists what. so you, you you reach out to them um so that was the one thing and then there's a chunk of people that wasn't on imdb or just didn't have contact details on imdb and but by and then it did take a long time because the end of the day everyone's in the us i think there's only a one interview we did in the uk and it just because one of the crew mark siegel happened to be visiting relatives in the uk at the time so it's like, oh, okay so we ended up so it was great so we did an interview with him and we went to warhorse with him so yeah, like, we did, great yeah. But most of the time, what would happen is we'd do an interview with someone and they say, and, you, you, and we're, we're talkers. So most of the time we're either talking way too much before <laughs> the interview and way too much after the interview. But they sort of like say, oh, have you, you know, have you been able to, have you spoke to Mark Brian Wilson? It's like, no, we, we can't find his details. And as we cover in the film, 
that there was a chunk of there's like nearly a hundred crew that didn't get credited and some like mark wilson had big parts in it he played slimer as well as help you know construct it and sculpt it as well as doing other things on the film so but he wasn't credited so it's like you don't even know if he's somebody you need to talk to and i'm i know some things about film but i'm not like you know i don't sit and go through forums and stuff like that basically so some say, oh, you want to talk to Mike Wilson? He's like, oh, he was slamming. All oh, right, okay. Oh, you want to talk to Billy Bryant? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know about it. Yeah. And then and then you interview them. Oh, you want to talk to Stuart Ziff? He was, you know, he was the creature shop supervisor, and, supervisor yes. and he'll be able to kind of like, and and that's and it just spread like that. And and you know, and to be fair to Ivan Reitman and and his assistant at the time, Andrea, actually, it was like them that you know when people like Harold Ramis was contacting and Sigourney Weaver was contacting Ivan say look well, we're getting this request to do Ghostbusters and they say they've got you and I said oh yeah 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 it was like they're fine they're, they're completely genuine and they're professional and and they you know they were great you know they came to the interview with me and it was because of that that we got interviews with like Harold and, and Sigourney and others so it really was like this you know and, and Richard and Terry, Terry Wendell the reason why there's two of them was because we couldn't find Terry and and when we were about to interview Richard I think we phoned him up just to confirm like the day and we were going around. He goes, oh, well, do you know, have you tried to get hold of Terry? It's like, no, well, Terry's going to be here. So if you want, you can, it's like, yeah, yeah, get in say we'll do, and we'll do you both at the same time. And that's how that happened. And you get this great energy between them. And, and sadly, Terry passed away mm. a couple of years ago now, which yeah. was a real shame because he was a lovely fellow. He was, yeah. It's lovely how it did that. And, and the fun thing about these documentaries is that you put people in contact with each other that go, like, oh, we haven't seen them in 30 years. And it's like, oh, well, do you want their, do you want their details? Because they're happy for you. Oh, yeah. And then they, they reconnect yeah, we and everything have reconnected again. So that's... that's but that's been one of the one of the many joys actually of making the film. But and again, that's what's great about documentary filmmaking. Yes, you've got your list of who your desirables are to interview, but you know, you do have to allow yourself to be organic, and that is the nature of, of documentary filmmaking. You need the structure. But by, like Anthony said, these sort of breadcrumbs of have you spoke to this person? Have you spoke to that person? Oh, yeah, well, we've tried to get hold of them. And then they and they've all been able to get, give us, you know, and share so many of their their stories and to get 45 people, many of whom have never spoken on camera about their experience mm. of working on Ghostbusters. It's just it's such a real honour you know, as well, to think that, you know, they, and the, the pressure's on because you're you're interviewing, you know, the sort of creme de la creme of, of the filmmaking, you know, in front and behind a cam uh, and camera. So the pressure's on to, to pull off a documentary that is worthy of the effort they've put in yeah. to spending time with us and sharing their stories and, and anecdotes and, 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 ta and teaching us those filmmaking techniques. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a tiny little bit of a break here. We're going to be talking about some great products that are available, and we're going to spotlight a few podcasts that are real big friends of the show. We'll be right back. Hi, guys. I'm John. And I'm Frank. And we're the hosts of a general discussion comedy show out of Brooklyn, New York, called The Basement Surge. Where every Monday, we drop new episodes about all the different stuff we like, such as movies, video games, being a dad, basically anything that pops in our heads. The Basement Surge is available to listen to on every podcast platform there is. Including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Basement Surge. Check out our official website at www.thebasementsurge.com for more info. Of upcoming episodes and all the magic that we come up with. All right? And that's it. Anything else? Tune in. Do you 
struggle to find the time and energy to consistently eat healthy, you're not alone and there is a solution. Introducing Factor, the all-in-one meal delivery service that preps, cooks, and delivers fresh, never-frozen, fully prepared meals directly to your door weekly. With Factor, every meal is designed by dietitians and handcrafted by world-class chefs, keeping your taste buds happy and your waistline trim. What's more, the menu changes every week, so you never lose interest in eating healthy. Right now, Factor is offering listeners of The Derek Duvall Show $50 off over their first two weeks. Just go to factor75.com, pick your meals, and use code PODCAST50 at checkout to claim this limited-time offer. That's factor75.com, code PODCAST50. Be sure to tell them that The Derek Duvall Show sent you at checkout. Here's to healthy eating. Hello there, Giga Water Gang. I'm Kina, the host of the boozy and delightfully foul mouth comedy podcast, Historical AF. I'm a nerdy public historian that is joined by a special guest each week to deliver funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Past topics have included the magical manhood of Russia's mad monk Rasputin, my hot take that aliens did not build the pyramids, Serial killers that both my parents happened to meet as children. Listen, I know what you're thinking. Kina, how do you even exist right now? Also, who was it? All right, I'll tell you. Spoiler alert, it was John Wayne Gacy and Mark Allen Smith. Anywho, we can't forget the spooky. I've covered topics ranging from the ghost of Anne Boleyn to the night marchers in Hawaii. Don't look at them, guys. If you do, you have to strip naked and you have to lay on the dirt. Dim's the rules. You can listen and subscribe to Historical AF wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Historical AF Pod. And finally, you can check out the website for links to listen, sources, because citing is sexy, photos, and more at historicalafpodcast.com. Okay, bye! Alright, see, I told you that wouldn't be too long. Anyway, here we go, right back into our interview with the creators of Cleaning Up the Town, The Making of Ghostbusters. I know other people who have seen the film, um... And there is one question, obviously, everybody's been asking me. To, that, uh, <laughs> oh, I know what that. Can I guess yeah. it? Is it Bill Murray? Yeah, it's Bill Murray. Yeah. Billy, Billy but, Murray. Yeah, well, um, it went actually, and, and the misconception and misreporting um, of Bill Murray is that he declined to be interviewed, and that is not true. Bill Murray, on more than one occasion, has said, yes, he will be interviewed. He's happy to, but we were just never able to sit him down to said interview. So that's what happened. We, you know, in, in the UK, we've got um, a company called Premier Scene. We report from the red carpet when there were such <laughs> things as red carpets pre-COVID. And so, you know, when Bill Murray was turning up to Wes Anderson films and such, you know, we would interview him there about the films, but because we always do everything, you know, the right way and we don't want to get into any trouble, we never asked any Ghostbusters questions, but we used the opportunity to speak to him, you know, introduce ourselves. He had heard of us because we've been in, in touch with his legal team for many years and he said he would do it. But, you know, in, in the end, what his lawyer said, you know, is what he says he does and what he does are two different things. So. And he is in the documentary. Yeah. The credits where Claire is asking him about there's no audio because uh we didn't have, it wasn't on radio mics at that point yeah. but we're in the auditorium um of the monuments the when it was monuments when yeah. it, national museum or something like that and he just turned up and even the pr company that was a national portrait gallery and he was like saying to the pi it's like is bill murray going to be it's like we don't know 
And that was about five, 10 minutes before it was about to start. And then he turns up. And then, so in the end, Claire runs to the front and nabs him and, and shows him, like, we had a printout of the IMDb, like, credits that we sort of, like, acquired. Yeah. Um, yeah, because at that point we had got Sigourney, Annie Potts. Yeah, we got, we've got all of them, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, yeah, we so, had, yeah. Um, I think the other one with Rick Moranis, I mean, he's been a very enigmatic uh, recluse for many years now, so. Yeah, and he did, he did. Decline. He was he's the only one actually yeah. physically that did. Just, I mean, we got, I think we got, a, my memory says we got a really nice email, kind of via Chris Stewart, I think it was, um, from Proton Charging. And he, um, he's, he, yeah, nice, nice reply, but basically no thanks was, was essentially it. And it's just like, fair enough. You know, that's, and it's like, that's it. If you say no, then that's it. And, um, but it's what well, if you say yes, and that's a different thing. And that's what, you know, you know, Mr. Murray did. And, and it was there was a point where it's like I'm not going to kill myself to try and get Bill Murray because I know he's not really interested in doing these kind of things, and most of the time it's more luck than anything else that you actually do get him for it. So uh, we just sort of like there was a few times when we tried hard to get him, but certainly towards when we knew we were kind of edging towards the end of finishing the film, mm-hmm. then we were like trying hard, and he was in the UK quite a lot doing some things. But it wasn't something I was going to kill myself over. And then the the, the point was we and the did point exhaust the film, every every. We yeah, exhausted we did, everything, though, to try and get him. But the, the kind of the point of the doc is to show the the amount of talent that goes into making a film, and it isn't down to one person. And most people look at Bill Murray and go, well, you know, Bill, you know, Ghostbusters is a success because of Bill Murray, and he's, and that's not putting that down. He no, does that's, that's not, yeah. Yeah. But it also sort of like, well, that means that all the work that all the, the other people did to make that film a success isn't nothing to do with them, just Bill Murray. It's like, no, because certainly when it come over here, because Bill Murray wasn't that famous over it as far as, I mean, I was only a kid then anyway. So, yeah. but, you know, it's like Dan Aykroyd had had, you know, a lot of cinema success in the UK, certainly from the Blues Brothers mm-hmm. and stuff. But, you know, Bill Murray didn't. So, you know, for me, it's sort of like, yes, I know, you know, Bill Murray is very important. He is a huge screen presence within Ghostbusters. But... To turn around and say the film is a success because of Bill Murray, it's, is it, I, it's, it's not something I agree with, yeah. and, and and it's like, you know, that's it. It's a disservice because there's all these people that came in. Richard Edlund and, and Ghostbusters is one of those films for me. It's just it just came at the right point in everyone's careers, and it became what it is because of that. It really was sort of like a crossroads of everything. And I feel like I feel like what you're saying is the same with in 1977 with um, the original A New Hope. It's like you know it came along at the right point in their careers, came along yeah. at the right time. Uh, yeah. Who, who would have ever heard of Harrison Ford or Carrie yeah. Fisher or Mark Hamill? And now you can't even say their names and be like, oh, my God, you know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, that's it. And, I mean, we've got a funny story when, when we were interviewing Sigourney Weaver because she said, didn't she, we were in the lift going down. We were, as, yeah. Um, we'd interviewed her in New York. And um, and then she said, oh, have you got Bill? Yeah. And I, I made some sort of comment, didn't I, about. The game had, game had just come out, I think. And uh, I was either coming out, of, and, and so he'd been on a couple of interviews talking about it and reminiscing, and he seemed to be in, in quite a nostalgic mood. I think it was the word we used. I just yes. feeling nostalgic, and she just burst out. She basically burst out laughing. Yeah, yeah, she did. And she goes, "You know, I adore Bill." And that, but and there's many words I'd use to describe him, but nostalgic is definitely not one. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> and she was lovely. Actually, oh, I was she really, really was, because yeah. she, I was quite. You know, there's certain people I was quite nervous at interviewing or meeting i'm quite over most of that now to be quite honest but when you meet people from your childhood that's a very different thing yeah there's a there's a very famous phrase i've heard over the years people they say never meet your heroes because they'll, yeah. never, live up, they'll never live up to your expectations yes uh, i've been fortunate twice to have that happen and it's been nothing but the, probably the most greatest experience of my life i met uh lindsey buckingham from fleetwood mac oh yeah 
who was my musical hero, and he was the most genuine, nicest man I have ever met. My father had passed away within a few months earlier, and uh, one of his songs had gotten me through a very, very rough time in my life. I mean, I, I took my father's death very, very hard, and uh, he was the most warmest, compassionate man, and he played that song that night, that the one that got me through it, and I will yeah and he gave me a hug and oh, yeah, it, oh he was the best and then uh, i met stan winston oh, wow. oh yeah i met stan winston at comic-con in 2003 and i got to spend about half an hour to about an hour with stan winston one-on-one just chatting and oh, talking about his his methods and uh, i have a great photograph of the two of us together it's one of my all-time favorites oh i um, bet uh soundtrack to this film quite fun uh there is a cd version there's there not there were featuring unreleased interviews with a good majority yeah. of the key production and cast members. Um, that was a pretty good idea. How that how that idea spit about? Um, I take you? credit for that. Uh, yeah. I, I, yes, I, think I think it was Claire that came up with that. With that, that genius. Because uh, the thing is, we've got so many. I mean, we've got hours and hours and hours of of of, of interviews. Thankfully. That we just, but you know, they just don't. You can't have everything in there, and some stories you want to share that you that just don't fit the narrative. And so when you know we we were going to do this soundtrack, I, I have you know in full credit to um, you know Jamie Thompson and 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 Dave Fanouf who who composed the score. But by adding these interviews, I just thought you know what it, it's just another opportunity for people to enjoy a few more of these anecdotes and stories and um so so what's on there it you can't get anywhere else yeah it was i mean basically even though we've done the special features on the, on the yeah. blu-ray and because the one story that i always loved was the story that um harold tells about the directing and and it's just like do we try and work it into the ghostbusters too dark it's like it and i'm really funny about putting in things that aren't really they weren't really said in that context yeah. it's sort of like that that's completely different that's five years later and it's sort of like it and he didn't say we it wasn't a part of the ghostbusters two questions it was a part of the ghostbusters question and i for whatever reason didn't put it on the on the on the special features on, on the deleted scenes and stuff so it was and so it was just a chance because there is there was like another hour or so of deleted scenes i think so and it i don't think it was even a part of deleted scenes because no, it, it was just a story that you couldn't make it fit and um and it was just like so that was it and that was just another opportunity really just like it just kind of breaks it all up it yeah. gives people something another little tidbit um of like some of the things that went on and and a chance to, and because there's some people that aren't in the dock as much as i'd like to to be in there even though everyone we interviewed is in the dock is in the full version anyway not the not not the hundred minute one but in the full version everyone's in it and that was always something that i was going to be quite strict about that it's like i'm not because you always get these people sort of like say, well, it'd be nice if you just use my interview even a little bit. It's like, well, of course, why, why would we even be here talking to you if we weren't going to use you? Yeah. And you have conversations with other people. Oh, yeah, or they did an interview with that and they never used it. And it's like, why, why go to the, why go to the asshole? And these people have really interesting things to say, especially when, you know, for, you know, for example, when uh, Dan Aykroyd's talking about John, Jim Belushi, uh, John Belushi and, and writing the lines when he died and all the rest of it. And, and and that just correlated to Mark Siegel talking about it. And he goes, I'm, he says, I'm so pleased you've used that because I always tell people that. And he says, I wonder whether they believe me or not that, you know, Animal House and things like that were actually used to, to kind of create the character of Slimer. 
And he says, so the fact that you've done that and, you know, validates the things that he said. And Mark, Mark Siegel got quite emotional on a few occasions yeah, through, watch through watching the film because he says he just found it completely transportative. He was like, he was right back there. He says, Skokes is one of his, or the favourite film that he worked on. Uh, and he's done a lot of stuff. And it's just that, you know, and that's what we wanted to kind of... Yeah, exactly. And I think for us as well, um, you know, and I hope you agree that the, the film, as much as it's a, um, a retrospective making of a film, it's actually a story about the people that made it. It's it's a celebration of these wonderful characters and personalities. And so what we hope is that the soundtrack provides an extension to, yeah. um, to that, really. My wife said, like, last night we were watching. This is the first time she watched it last night. And she goes, I can definitely tell. She goes, that is a labor of love. You know, that's a love letter to probably, I know it's seeing like it's not one of her favorite films, but one of mine. She goes, that's definitely a love letter to the fans. It's definitely a love letter to, um, you know, just the entire genre. But she goes, that's, you guys literally, like, knocked it out the park. Oh, oh, thank no, thank, thank you very, very much. much indeed, and and, I, and it really means a lot. And and you know, because it, you know it was a, a in the making for twelve years, yeah. and there's a reason. You know, a lot of that reason is because we didn't want to slap it together. Yeah, but the ones that did watch it seem to be responding really well to it. And then when you, the fans see, it, and we know, as we know, you know, the fan bases can be a bit brutal when they want to be. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, so and they everyone was like responding to it, and yeah. just like this is and and when we sit in a and in, in like a cinema, people are watching it and they're laughing. That's la sometimes they're laughing at the stuff you wanted to laugh at. Sometimes they're laughing at stuff that that you didn't think that they would find that funny, but they are. And then and then stuff that they gasp at. I just like it was just it was quite emotional. Yeah, I think I think you know, and 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 I'm saying this in the kind of the humblest possible way. When we sat in the cinema in 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 Calgary when we first screened it in front of an audience we knew we'd made a good film but what i hadn't realized was that we made something really special mm -hmm. and I, think, I think as well and like I, we're about to get into the next question i gotta say is it's also a bit of a time capsule because some of the, like you said some of the people in the film are no longer with us yeah. you know yeah. so like last night I, I'm, I might as well just get jump out in the next question is with harold ramus passing away in 2014 um you know, he was a huge writing hero and a directing hero to a lot of people I know who actually are in the business. Um, what were your best memories of getting to him to collaborate on this project? Uh, well, just that, that, yeah, exactly the whole thing. <laughs> there is just, it's just the, the nicest, warmest man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you say about meet your heroes kind of thing. And he's like, cause he's not just eager. It's like you say, he's, he's not just Egon. He's, you know, he's Groundhog Day. Yeah. He's, He's like a whole, you know, he's Caddyshack. And, you know, we, you know, when we were attempting to, me and my mates were attempting to play golf and stuff like that, not that you could really call it playing golf, but you'd be quoting Caddyshack while you're trying to hit a golf ball. <laughs> and uh, winter rules, winter rules. And and so when we we knew we were going to be interviewing him, and it was, we weren't sure where it was going to be. And then it was going to be in, it was in Chicago in the end. So we, we'd been out there for a month. Yeah. I think it was, wasn't it? So we was in LA for about three weeks and then we we're going to spend a week in New York. And we had to fly to New York. And as soon as we got there, because we already booked the flights, we had to go on a plane, fly straight to Chicago, hope that the bags would turn up with the camera and stuff. Um, and then we interviewed him the day after. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And then, so we remember it was, and it was such a, you know, it's this suburb of, of Chicago. It was like a row of shops and, and his office was above like a very, row of shops. Very, very kind of, um, unassuming wasn't yeah, it really nothing, not, not 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 an ounce of hollywood about yeah it. nothing about hollywood not not it's slightly pretentious and no so we we go up the steps and, and turn a corner and i remember i wasn't in front of the door claire, was in, claire knocked on the doors in front of it i was at the side just 
with armfuls of lights and cameras and stuff. <laughs> and um, I, I carry things too, I hasten to add. Yeah, the ego. Um, <laughs> and then the door just bursts open. He goes, it's the Ghostbusters. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you should call this Ghostbusters. So I, that, does that officially make me the fifth Ghostbuster? I'm not sure it does. Um, <laughs> but that was it. And yeah. he straight away, you know, beaming smile, disarmed you immediately. Yeah. And there was no kind of pretense about him no, at all. And he was amazing. Just so, and he just done year one at that point. And he was like, you know, raving about Jack Black and how nice he was. He'd love to work with him again. And and, and talking about Egon and, and Egon Sheila, where he, the expressionist painter and fellow that he actually got the look of Egon from. Kaya, yes, Cryer. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Theoretical physicist or theoretical architect and physicist or something yeah. like that. And he's and, and he was telling and he showed him a picture. But we just had these conversations. I, I remember telling him some things. It's like I really shouldn't have been telling him that stuff. It was quite, <laughs> quite weird. Some of it quite slightly grotesque. But anyway, I'm going into it now. But it was just just the nicest thing. And he spoke for a, an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. And at one point, he's just, I'm really sorry, am I talking too much? No, 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 not at all. And he would have meetings and he was just calling his assistant and just say, could you just call such and such and just tell him I'm, I'm, I'm going to be here a little while longer. Well, I'll meet him later. And so we, I think it was like four, was it four hours? Three, oh, four yeah, hours yeah. We had the afternoon with him. It was just, just really, and, and it's like that, you know, like you say, you just, because there are people that, and, you know, there's some people you meet and you just, in the end, you're not that impressed by them. And I'm, right. there's some, we met that we were massive fans on when we met them we we're like you know what I, I just didn't really warm to him much at all but we didn't really have that no, with anyone not with anybody that. yeah yeah no exactly. um, everybody was very gracious yeah I, I will say this um when i joined the military like i said i i told you i'm a huge movie fan of the movie stripes i think harold ramus is absolutely <laughs> incredible in that movie and um, when I joined the military, I obviously, you know, I was sitting in a recruiter's office and they ask you, you know, a question, but, you know, they don't allowed to ask that anymore. But uh, they did say, um, are you a homosexual? And I immediately jump into Harold Ramis. I'm like, no, but I am willing to learn. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a huge laugh out of everybody in the recruitment office. And, and no one got the joke where it came from, sadly. But, but yeah, I wish like someone was sitting next to me, like, you know. To carry that joke on but no it was just me being a smart ass like i always am <laughs> and um yeah it's funny you say that because um your comment like you know there are people that you you know you meet that you have a poor impression of um that brings me into my next question is dan Aykroyd. you know he is a, a, a enigmatic genius created some of the greatest characters through snl and you know through you know with ghostbusters uh the booze brothers what kind of things did you talk about and did he give you any of his vodka? No. No. Um, no. Oh, man. No, but actually, we have got a story about the vodka, though. Not that we became alcoholics through making this film, though. <laughs> right. we were um, but it was actually, um, there was a, so it had taken us sort of four years to, you know, that logistically it just didn't work. When we were on one side of America filming, he would be the other touring with his um vodka and stuff and so we just couldn't make it work so he was over in the uk in soho in this um very kind liquor, of store. Liquor, liquor store uh off license as we call them in the uk yeah. and um really like dodgy looking not dodgy in the it was been in soho it's had uh, no. yeah no it was just... <laughs> sex toys yeah. next to the uh, jack daniels and stuff no, no, no. yeah Nothing sex like toy stirrers and all that <laughs> anyway so um so he was doing a signing um 
there there was queues going around the right around the sh shop and yeah, up was, the street yeah. um to to get the, the bottle signed so we, we decided i mean literally like we we hardly had any money for food let alone at that point go and spend like 50 pounds on a bottle of vodka that was never going to be drunk by us so we're in the queue anthony's bricking it and I, I was i was really i, I was quite I was quite begrudged of having to shell out that because that fifty it was fifty pounds yeah, really was, was like a lot, a lot of money, money to us, us at that point. Mm -hmm. but it's, it's not that it isn't now, but like, it was you know, but it was, at that point, yeah. And I, saw, I was just like, why the? It's like we've got to, you know, whatever. And then, but the moment we were we were outside and looking through the window, and I saw him sat there, it hit me, and it's like, this is, this is Dan because he's the one person. Out of anyone on my list of people that I've wanted to meet, he's the one that's always been number one. And I've wanted to meet him for years. He's always seemed like a really interesting bloke. And and it's like, and then and it just struck me. It's like he's bloody, he sat there. And what they were saying was, oh, it's one person per bottle. And we knew the security blokes that were doing it because they they also do the red carpet stuff. So we got to know about that. So, but as it was, they weren't being that strict. Because, but it was, it's like, who should go in? It's like, you'll have to go in. I can't, I know I'm going to go in there and my mouth's going to go completely dry and I'm not going to know what to say to it. So, um, but anyways, it turns out that wasn't really an issue. So we went in and it was Valentine's Day of <laughs> yeah. 2015. Or, yeah. No, it might be 2012. So so we go there. He goes, oh, so it's just like a, a Valentine's Day thing. It's like, no, no, no. Like, we're brother and sister. So, we're, you know, we're not from Totnes. No, no. We're not. He's down here. But he's like, no. It was like, um, I said, oh, he goes, oh, no, no. I just thought, yeah. It's like, no, it's all right. It's like, and then Claire handed him our business card. And he says, oh, do you want me to sign it? It's like, no, we're Claire and Anthony from the Ghostbusters doc. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you two. How are you doing? She goes, we haven't done that interview yet, have we? No. Well, you know, we was wondering. Oh, okay. Well, so, and then what stuck in my mind he stood because he sat down and he stood up and he has like his glasses which are like sunglasses and he put his glasses up and so he looked at us directly and i had massive hands as well that's another thing when we're shaking hands and he says okay call call my assistant when when do you think you're going to be back over so we're due to be over there in a couple of months in april okay contact my assistant then and we'll definitely get it all worked out so that'll be amazing go oh no it's, it's it, i should have done it before now and it's, it's really it's, it's bad that it's taken this long so, that's amazing thank you and that was it. Yeah. Um, awesome. And then, and that's and that's exactly what happened. In the end, we went over, we phoned up, and even though it was still, we wondered whether it was going to happen or not. It did, uh, and yeah. it was in the House of Blues. So they, we we saw bottles of the vodka. We never we still never <laughs> taken it. Um, but he was. But he's. I really like him. He's got yeah. such an energy. Mm -hmm. and it does remind me of John Landis, but John's much more focused with his energy. Whereas, whereas with Dan Aykroyd, you can. It's not that he's not present, but you know he's already kind of two or three steps ahead, right? In, in, in doing stuff, I think he's just that mindset. Yeah, interested, but he's. I've been very fortunate. I've only met two Ghostbusters. I met. Um, I'll get to Dan in a second. I met Ernie Hudson uh, about three or four years ago. We love him. He was on. He was doing this thing for Halloween, and he was doing um, a casino tour, where he would oh. go around to different casinos through um, Hard Rock over here, and it'd be like a meet and greet with Ernie Hudson. Oh, and wow. um, yeah, he would come in and he's already pre-signed these um, 3D lithographs, you know, of him and all that. And it, it was you get like a minute with him and he was the nicest guy. And I'm a massive fan of the movie The Crow. So, I, you know, I, I talked about The Crow a little bit, but he was just a really warm guy. Got a picture with him. I also am 60 pounds lighter now. So it's kind of a hard picture to look at a little bit for me. <laughs> but uh, other than that, no, he was the nicest guy. And um, 
Yeah, super, super cool. But uh, the Dan Aykroyd story, I, I love. And I love telling this story because it, it's, it, it shows you just how warm of a man he was. I joined the Navy um, at a very different time in the world than it is now. 9-11 happened while I was in the Navy. Um, about five months before that, though, was the movie Pearl Harbor. Oh, and yeah. I was on the ship that Pearl Harbor was doing the world premiere of in Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. Oh. Oh my goodness. And they had the stars and the and the directors and the producers. And uh, I tell you, we said like there's a few people you never warmed to. And I've been very vocal on this podcast that one of the biggest assholes I've ever met in my life is Ben Affleck. Oh <laughs> and, I, I, and when I say when I say asshole, I mean a, an absolute bell end of a man, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and he would he was smoking near the JP5 fuel tanks. We told him to piss oh. off. He wouldn't do it. He was giving attitude to people. He wouldn't sign autographs. He wouldn't take pictures. <gasps> and he was, I mean, just an absolute jerk. Oh no, that's just not good. On the flip side of that coin is Dan Aykroyd, who had a very small role in the movie, but he was in. Anyway, he he was around the fan around the sailors. You know, he met he, he would do like he'd take pictures. He would tell stories. It, it was like it was like meeting, you know, uh, Mr. Rogers, but you know, not Mr. I Rogers. Bet. And the I tell this story to all my friends at dinner parties. I tell it. It's just it's become like one of those stories that you know you tell in the pub about meeting Dan Aykroyd. Anyway, I got to meet him, and obviously, you know, hey, I'm you know a big Ghostbusters fan. I love Coneheads, you know, all that stuff. I, I thought SNL, your stuff on SNL is genius, and he would tell stories about being on SNL and all that. But the, the one story I tell, it was this, it was this young, she was a young sailor and she obviously was a big Ghostbusters fan. And she, you gotta remember that this is like the, the era of the Nokia phone, like the time at the little brick phone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so she goes, my mom, my mom's on the line. Will you say hello to my mom? And he goes, sure. So he gives it, she gives her the phone and he goes, hi, this is, you know, this is Dan Aykroyd. Have you ever seen Ghostbusters? Conehead. <laughs> Did you ever watch Saturday Night Live? <laughs> Blues Brothers? My Girl. Yes, I was the dad in My Girl. <laughs> uh, we are just dying of laughter, but he had to go through his whole IMDb bibliography <laughs> just to find a movie that the mother had seen him with him in it. It had to be My Girl of all movies. And the girl was just dying of embarrassment, but we, oh, he loved it. He was just like, this oh. is. This okay. is great. And I hope I hope maybe one day, God willing, Dan Acker comes to my show. I hope he remembers that story because I think it's probably one of the most funniest things I ever saw in my life. How humble of him though, just not to like go, what don't you know, don't you know what I've been in? You know, just to yeah. be like I think that's really sweet. Oh, no, he, yeah, he, it was it was beautiful. You know, you hear stories about a lot of people, especially when you've been doing that kind of work. And uh, and yeah, there are some that were just like, well, that doesn't surprise me. You guys assembled some of the greatest special effects wizards of that time. We're talking about legends in the business. Um, how much fun was that, you know, with <laughs> them reminiscing? And who was the most fun person of the special effects wizards that you got to interview? <laughs> that's, that is tricky because there's several gems yeah there's several gems um oh, yes, well, yeah. you can't say you yeah. can't not say steve johnson oh, no because exactly. steve johnson's a legend just he's just a legend full stop period but he is hilarious he's like probably what one of the most bizarre interviews i've ever done 
in a fun way in that I was um, interviewing him and then I, I, he was sat in his sofa, as you you know, because you've seen the film, and he, he'll, he, I would ask a question and then he, he would and then he would answer it. And, you know, as you are with your interview, you follow it up with the next question. Right. So I go and follow up with a question and then he goes, hang on, stop, 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 stop. You know, swig of bourbon, puts it down, ask the question, answers it. Then I follow it up. Stop, 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 stop. In a minute, in a slow down, slow down. Cigarette, you know. And the whole interview went went like this. He was an absolute legend. He is really, really funny, very nice, very, and has been amazing with sharing his archive. Yeah, with he's us. been really good with that. He's yeah. really helped us out. Um, yeah, but really he was good. he was one of the the funniest interviews. And 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 Terry, Terry um, and Richard. Richard that was really difficult because you know when you're you know it's different when you're in an interview situation like this where you're you you as the interviewer are part of it whereas you know when you're making a documentary that you're not in Anthony yeah there was <laughs> no, going to be leading it and then I said no we're not doing that anymore. then he changed it but it's, which is all cool I don't care I'm not bothered but you know when you're oh, when you're brings it up <laughs> so often um but when you know when you're off camera and um you know you 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 can't you have to ask the question and you can't be heard after that you have to let your interviewees um but but they were so funny and they were bouncing off each other and I would literally would be set there with my shoulders like you know bouncing up and down laughing holding on to my mouth because they were so so funny bouncing off each other and they other. were just there you know they could and, they, and the wealth of stories yeah, yeah. I mean it was just, you were sitting, we were talking with them I think we were talking for four hours oh easily yeah. and uh, and you know he's sitting having coffee and Terry's talking about working on Return of the Jedi and because he animated the lightning bolts that come out of the Emperor's fingers. Oh wow. See that now you just you got me nerding out just a second now. That's my favorite scene in all of Star Wars. <laughs> oh that just oh wow, I just got chills. That's awesome. He did that really? Yeah, yeah. no, he did. Oh he, dude. Okay, sorry. I think he was new to the team. Yeah. So I am, getting, I am getting so giddy as an interview. I am never this giddy <laughs> when I interview people. It was so cool. It was, I, I walked to the, we've done this chat, I'll tell you more about it, but I went to the loo and, he's, and, and, and Richard's got some amazing stuff and there's this cabinet full of old cameras and in there's a lightsaber. And it's just like, that's, and that's a lightsaber, not like some replica, not that that is something that they use and probably was on Star Wars. Anyway, so Terry was telling the story. A proper prop. A proper prop. And, uh, and he was sort of like saying, yes, yeah. so, so basically, so at that point, nobody really knew what was going to happen at the end of Return of the Jedi and they didn't know Vader was going to die and things like that. So, so he said, I animated the, the, the lightning coming out and I not really put that much. And there's like, no, 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 you need to put more in there. And he just said, but if I put any more in, it's going to end up killing him. And, <laughs> and he said, and there was this dead silence through the whole shot. And he goes, okay, okay, I'll get on with it. And he said, I, he said, I was shitting myself the whole night because I thought I was going to get fired. I thought I've let, I really let a big sort of like cat out of the bag there and that's it. And he says, I didn't get fired and it was all fine. He said, but if that was the kind of the, the joys of, of mm. things like that. You hear them and you see him giggling about it. And mm. we met him, met up with him for a bite to eat afterwards. And, and they were playing a clip from Poltergeist with where the ghosts, are, I think mm. it's, the, it's the particular ghosty, spooky bit. I think, oh, where the hand comes out and it all gets a bit spooky. He goes, all right, well, I, I animated all of that. It's like, oh my God. I know. And because you, you, you know, you, you're getting into a chat with him and then you forget. I mean, you know, the thing about most of these people, they love telling stories. That's their job, really. Yeah. Well, and well, and weirdly enough, you talk about Pearl Harbor. Ned Gorman, who worked on Ghostbusters 2, um, 
for ILM, he was he we went to his house to interview him and he was showing us the visual effects of how they did, Pearl Harbor and how they the did it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, it's the car park bit, and is this and it's like so, you know, like, oh my god, you're sitting here listening to these absolute Einsteins of their mm-hmm. of their generation, and they're sitting there humbly talking to you about and, and showing you what they did. I mean, it's you, you have to pinch yourself, really. I mean, because I mean, it's like that scene is is just. I, can't, I mean, I love Jedi. That was the only one of the original trilogy that I saw at the original time it came. Same out. here as well. Yeah, yeah. Go kiss must be about the same. So it was just like you know, and it is. It's, it's an incredible scene, and they but they're not necessarily known for it. And you just and that's and again, that was the whole point of Ghostbusters. All go clean up the town is. But well, these people are responsible for that. If it wasn't for that person, proton streams wouldn't look like that. You know, John Bruno had his bit, and then you know Terry's part of the anime animates the things. And I, you know, much prefer sort of like the effects within Ghostbusters than in Ghostbusters Two. No, no, no offense to anyone in Ghostbusters Two who worked on, but there's just a, there's a different texture energy in, and energy, yeah. and, and and they look incredible. And and that's how it holds up so like to this day. But you know, but they they know that they're not really seeing that much of. So when they get a chance to talk about this stuff, you know, this stuff just kind of comes out. And in some cases, it's just like you know, they're at a certain age where they're like, "Well, we don't care. That's what we say. You know, yeah. we'll tell you what we think of them." It's like, "All right, okay, well, maybe we'll maybe we'll, we'll leave that bit out of the dock, but we'll try and touch on it in some way." But it they were just the, the, the best. I mean, and when we got on, I mean, we are still in touch with all of them. You know, we'll Skype yeah. with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and still sort of like touch base, and hopefully we'll get a chance to see Richard. I, I, we were we were over in back in June last year, um, and I you saw Richard, and I didn't get a chance to see him because I was just we was at uh, the, the, the big Ghostbusters fan fest. Yeah, I saw him briefly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so hopefully we'll get a chance to kind of catch up with all yeah. of them again soon. And then there's a point where you start making, you thinking you start making plans about making films. It's like, gosh, I could. I could give, give them a call and see if they'd be willing to work on a film that we're doing. That would be awesome. We all get a chance to work together. Like it's just it's crazy. So it's just it's weird really. to kind of find yourself in those kind of situations. That, but I just always feel very fortunate to be in that. Yeah. In, the, in those positions and and getting a chance to get people like that. And then you get Paul Terry who passes passes oh, away. And so yeah. Yeah. a chance to get that story on on tape about like Return of the Jedi or anything like that. And it's like oh Jedi. <laughs> I will say this one of the things you guys touched on and like i said last night again when i watched it again i really did nerd out on is one of my favorite sound effects in all the films is the turning on of a proton pack mm-hmm. and um i like i said again i i got hairs because i remember the first time i saw him like that is the coolest sound and as home theaters have developed over the years now you've got advanced surround sound you put a you put a nice sounding subwoofer into that. That that'll rattle your house pretty damn good. Uh, my wife, in fact, was just like, "Can you turn down just a little bit?" I was like, "No." <laughs> so, yeah, um, it was it was awesome. Again, I just it's and I, I love the reaction. You know, it's like turn them on and you you, know, you hear it and you see them just kind of back away from the proton pack because like not because you know they're like afraid of what might happen. And I, I just love that scene so much. That elevator. And it's exactly. just so, and I just have it like you know, like um, Peter Bateman's just so nonchalant, like, yeah, we're just wearing nuclear accelerators on our back, and you're like, in the theater, you're like, they're not gonna kill them, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I, I I do love that scene. I'm so glad that you you throw that in there. Oh, yeah, it was just, I mean, the I was, when we interviewed Richard Beggs about it, he says, oh, I don't know, if I. If the, because we turned up and he he was expecting us, but he'd kind of forgotten. He says, "Oh, if I'd have remembered, I would have brought the drive. I actually had the drive in here with all the original effects on." Because mm. we wanted to find out, well, how did you do that? I mean, the one actually, I don't think we even put it in the special features. Well, maybe we did, but it was all about 
puffed and how the stay puff the noise of him walk, walk, walking he's done and maybe i did put it on a special feature but it's basically it was he said he had these tight taut leather seats and he wet his thumb and rubbed his thumb on them and then recorded it and changed the speed and all the rest of it and that's what the sound is when stay puffs walking in that kind of <laughs> sound and and it was just and but we wanted to know like right okay what was the proton stream what da, 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 but he just didn't have that information available to him at that point and he just couldn't remember because it was i think 25 years at that point yeah. when we'd interviewed him but but that's the kind of it's kind of getting everything you can mm -hmm. and then once you get in the edit you try and weave it all in and, and like the staple thing i love the staple story but it just the staple sequence is already really long i mean i think the original edit of slimer sequence is like 40 minutes 45 mm -hmm. minutes yeah. long and that I was conscious to really bring it down. I think we got it down to 10 minutes in the end, but there was a lot of stuff in there at one point, which it was really granular. And there was a point where it's like, this is way too dense for most people. It, like a lot of people are going to love this stuff, but a general portion of people are going to watch this aren't. And so that was a bit of a juggling act between the the general stuff that people knew, the, the more granular things and, and stuff you're thinking, this is going way too far now. So I hope we've got that balance there. I have a friend of mine um, who who jailbroke his iPhone, um, I think last year, and I, I'm obviously I'm too attached to my my phone to do that myself. But um, he actually, you know, you can put you know your own um, ringtones and sound effects on it, and every time he turns his phone on after he boots it, you hear the Proton Pack start up. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! Is the only selling point to me of someone actually like you need to jailbreak your phone, and, when it, <laughs> and whenever he sends um, an email. You hear R two D 2s like you know, like when he spends, um, like that. and I'm like, I'm like, you bastard! That's one of the coolest things I've ever, I've ever heard. And he, I won't do it, but yeah, I, I, it's the only selling point for me to ever jailbreak my phone. To be continued. That brings us to the halfway point of our in-depth interview with Claire and Anthony Bueno of the documentary film Cleaning Up the Town: The Making of Ghostbusters. Trust me, I have done my fair share of nerding out. And believe me, there are plenty more geekgasms ready for the conclusion. Part 2 will air on January the 28th, so be on the lookout. Let me ask you a question. Are you enjoying the show so far? Nine episodes in, and I can tell you it's an incredible amount of work. If you feel like supporting this show, feel free to buy me a coffee. Trust me, your support means the world to me, and it keeps this endeavor afloat. There will be a link on our website, DerekDevallShow.com for you to make your donation. The world is a crazy place right now, but with a new president and a new outlook on how we are going to get through this craziness together, I say to you, be safe, be well, and wear a fucking mask. On behalf of everyone at the Derek Duvall Show, Nosta and God bless. And remember, if someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. See you in two days, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com, for the latest news on downloads and to explore past episodes. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.